Blog Talk Radio. Oh yeah, stand up and shout. Welcome to Band Radio Show, coming to you each Monday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Black Brooks Rock. We are more than just a niche. We are a movement, says Ella Curry of EDC Creations. Prepare for the most stimulating conversation on the planet. Sit back, relax, enjoy another mind-blowing literary experience. Give the gift of knowledge. Put your hands together for your host, Ella D. Curry. Another Crown Holder Spotlight with Mark Lacey. We will be discussing his latest book, Ghosts of Ace Honeycutt, The Final Countdown. And we will also be discussing his Clairvoyance Poetic Vault series, and it has seven books. So we're going to jump right into the show with Mark Lacey. Hunts Bills on Mark Lacey, a graduate of Alabama A and M University, is a nationally renowned, award winning poet, author, and speaker. And he's also the CEO of AVO Publishing LLC. Mark has performed all over the country at many national literary events and spoken word venues. Mark is also an award-winning fiction writer and a blogger. Along with his writing and performance, Mark utilizes his wordsmith talent and poetic flair as a facilitator of lectures, conducts workshops, delivers motivational speeches concerning writing, communications, and self-development. Mark Lacey credits his faith in God and love of family for providing the energy he needs to succeed. Tonight, we're going to be discussing the Whiskey House Trilogy and his new poetic um, vault series. So welcome to the show, Mark. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, and I hope you're doing well as well. I am. I am. I'm excited about tonight's show. It's just so many things going to, through my mind. But the first thing that I want to talk mm-hmm. about is your Clairvoyance Poetic Vault series, the seven books. Wow, you have 500 unreleased poems in this series? Talk to us about it. Tell us about this series. Okay, so the uh, Poetic Vault series has been brewing for some time now. Uh, I did not necessarily have a time window in which I originally wanted to release the material when I started working on it, like at the beginning. Uh, Well, actually, I started working on it uh, towards the end of the last millennium, the collection, that is, but I really wasn't thinking about publishing it per se. And then as time went on, you know, I was adding more and more poetry to the vault. Uh, as time went on, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, uh, the 2010s, uh, I was still um, kind of hesitant uh, to release it because one of the main reasons was the fact that, um, you know, when you have uh, chapters and then you have different books or whatever and so many books in the, in the vault or in the series, uh, you want to try to categorize uh, the the material as best as possible. And, and with poetry, it's kind of challenging to do that. Uh, however, by the grace of God and, and, and uh, via the assistance of uh, some brilliant minds, I was able to uh, pull it off and uh, not only uh, 
uh, released poetry that had been written from written back in the day, but I also added uh, some new pieces uh, to the series as well to kind of round it off. And, and thus, uh, seven books uh, were birthed from that. And uh, initially, it was I, I had about four books in the vault, but it just kept growing, kept evolving. And I said, after after this pandemic, I, I guess you can I guess you can consider that we're in post the post pandemic age, but I mean it's still out there. But after the 2020 hit, and I just felt that the world was just losing its mind. Uh, one of my favorite basketball players of all time, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, had a very cryptic quote. Uh. He said, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is assuming that they have time. Uh. And when I saw how everything was happening, uh, you know, not just the pandemic, but the social and racial uh, issues and the, everybody tied up in conspiracy theories and financial things. I said, you know, I need to go ahead and uh, release this series uh, of, of books, not not slowly release, you know, one book uh, this month and the next book in a couple more months. No, uh, because tomorrow's not guaranteed. I need to go. I need to go ahead and let them have it all. And um, another reason I decided uh, to do it like this is because. Uh, I am really focusing on uh, my uh, fiction material, and uh, I don't know how many uh, poetic collections that I have left in me uh, to release. Now, I do have some surprises coming down the road, but uh, I entered the game as a poet. I I will always be a poet. I'm going to chip off the old block. My dad is a poet. So um, that will always be a part of me, and I will always be true to that aspect of my brand. However, uh, some years ago, you know, I, I made my official segue to fiction with uh, when I did the, the Wretched Saints short story book with Ashanta Collins back in 2010. That was my segue to fiction. And so um, with that being the case, I said I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, release uh, the Clairvoyance Poetic Vault, let the chips fall where they may, and I plan on uh, focusing now primarily on my fiction. But as I say, I still have, I still may have a surprise or two coming down the road. But um, I, I really wanted to uh, release this collection mainly because of the times in which we're living. I said I got to get this out, uh, not only because tomorrow's not guaranteed, but also I may have something to say within those books. So um, I just I'm just very blessed and thankful, Ella, that I had the opportunity to do it. Uh, you know, some people say, "Oh, well, the bar definitely raised the bar." You know, I really wasn't thinking from that perspective per se. Um, you know, I'm I just know what I'm capable of doing. And I always try to challenge myself to, uh, you know, raise my own standards. And if somebody on the outside looking in gets influenced by that or encouraged by that, so be it, I'll take it. Because uh, I I love it when uh, uh, somebody is inspired and I have a little piece to do with that. So... I'm really proud of this collection, and, um, you know, uh, oh, and also, if I may add, uh, two of the books are love poetry books, of which there are some uh, beautiful models on the B. Tippica Ambrosia and Enraptured Felicity, and these happen to be uh, models from my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, so I'm very proud of that. Wanted to uh, pay tribute to women of color. And so uh, really, really proud of that as well. Uh, initially, those two books were not part of the plan, uh, you know, to release this batch, of, to, to be released within this batch of publications, but I had so much love poetry 
uh, stored in the vault, I said, I can't let this go to waste. And why not put it out there while paying homage to women of color? So there you have it. That's selling place by the grace of God. And, again, really thankful, uh, and I feel really humbled just by having the opportunity to work the process and to uh, birth these publications. Now, I am so excited about um, the two love poetry books you have. They are beautiful. Now, when you say love poetry, now how steamy would you say? Would would you call it grown folks fiction on a scale of one to five? Just how steamy are they? Well, you know, Ella, it's kind of hard to say because the beauty of – Poetry, it in part, comes from the eyes and the ears of the beholder. So we all uh-huh. have different scales and standards. But, of course, since you know, it's almost like asking a parent, who's your favorite child, right? So <laughs> I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a five. But now, now, and I'm glad you mentioned that because they are for adults and they do talk about, all uh, uh, scenarios within the subject of love, which means I could go here or I could go there. Now, it is they're, they're not considered erotica. However, uh, I do like to write with that uh, creative innuendo. And uh, let's just say in some cases uh, I will figuratively – take the reader to the cliff, and it's up to them if they allow their mind to stay on land or to jump off that cliff. <laughs> so so that, I, I'm going to leave it right there. But as I got older, but, but man, this, this is a, that's a good question because as I matured, as I call myself maturing in my writing, uh, there are certain words and phrases that I felt that I did not have to use going forward I can challenge myself to put a creative spin on it, right, uh-huh. instead of just getting right to it. No, I mean, I, I can foreplay it to death with words. And, 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 and I like to imagine, you know, imagine in my own mind the things that aren't said. Right, right. And, and of course, uh, you know, I've heard, now, when I first got into the game, I mean, it's just, you know, I might as well just go ahead and say my primary demographic as an African-American male poet, my primary demographic was African-American woman. So, uh, and so when I first got in the game, I was getting lots and lots of feedback from my performances and my poetic writing, and I would hear the ladies say almost in unison, you know, say it without saying you know, make us feel it without you singing it verbatim uh-huh. or saying it directly. And, um, and, and, but the bottom line is when, when you're introduced uh, in the game and you're going to all these different events and it's uh, primarily African-American women there at the event, you know, you, you definitely have to cater to the, 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 the bulk of your demographic. And so, hey, I was listening and I was taking notes. And, um, you know, if the ladies are your primary uh, or, or the focal demographic, you got to give the ladies what they want. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, I love my erotica and I love erotic spoken word. I've been, right. you know, here in D.C., I've been to two cabarets and, um, they had spoken word artists performing, and it was sensual. It was it's sexy. It was hot, and not vulgar. No, they didn't really use ugly words. Everything you you had to create that image, and I enjoyed it. I mean, if I have to listen to poetry, I want it steamy. <laughs> oh, of course. Listen, when, when I went to uh, when I first started performing at different events, what I noticed was uh, it didn't matter what the background 
of the listener was. It, I don't care how saved they were or how saved they are, how Christian they are. They did not want to hear uh, some some uh, poetry full of morals and ethics and all of that. Mm-hmm. No, they they, uh, they 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 wanted to hear some stuff that that uh, make make the windows steam up. Exactly. And so, uh, they, I mean, they they did not. This lady flat out came and told me, said, "Mark, I don't want to hear no clean stuff from you." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, and, and, you know, I I know I don't. <laughs> well, listen, I had to learn that because people, you know, people look at me and assume that I'm some corporate cat, some corporate clean cut guy that. Uh, is only going to uh, stay within a certain lane when it comes to expression. And, you know, under a pseudonym, I released an erotica uh, spoken word CD some years ago. And uh, also I've got some, uh, you know, I've got several erotica performance pieces that weren't necessarily published per se. Uh, but I was like, you got to catch me live to, to, to hear them. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I've got it, I've got a lot of it in my overall collection. It's just um, as uh, I call myself maturing in my writing, I just wanted to challenge myself to use your word smithery, lack of a better phrase, to say it another way. And um, in essence, uh, through foreplay. Exactly, you know, exactly. Make them imagine this or imagine that. Yeah. So, was it an easy transition for you to move into fiction writing, especially with a book as intense as the first book in the trilogy, Curse of the Whiskey House? Um, was it easy for you? Well, you know, honestly, okay, so that that could be a loaded question simply because what spawned the trilogy was the fact that um, I would publish flash fiction to my followers on uh, my social media uh, pages. And so what's e- what was easy for me at the time was to, to write an action scene. That was the easy part. I can write, you know, I've got a very creative mind. So it didn't take anything for me to uh, – put that uh, to, to text, right, just writing, writing a quick thing, and I would string it all together, and I would always leave uh, with like a cliffhanging-like sentence or a phrase. It was real short, short flash fiction, and folks were like, you know, you need to make this a trilogy, and what, what spawned it was on one of the last flash fiction scenes I wrote was Somebody got kidnapped, and they would take – I couldn't think of where are they going to take them in the woods that that would be mysterious. Where are they going to take them in the woods that would uh, keep the suspense going? Would it be an open field? Would it be a shack? Ah, whiskey house, moonshine house. I was just thinking Mm -mm. of an old moonshine shack in the woods. And, and the word whiskey house has a ring. The phrase whiskey house has a ring to it. So whiskey house trilogy, curse of the whiskey house, and it kept going with viral transgressions and then the ghost of Ace Honeycutt. But, okay, so the, to answer the other part of it, the difficult part, I learned the hard way is that when you're writing a fiction novel, you just can't string scenes together. You know, you just can't take. Well, at first, I had I had all of my I had all of my flash fiction things collected, stored, and then I started putting them together in one document. Bam, bam, bam! I said, "Okay, this is this is gonna be dope right here," and I was like, "Wow, this is not gonna fly. <laughs> this is not gonna fly because because you it, it was like putting together a puzzle. You had they had, you had to have smooth transitions." Things had to mesh with one another. Uh, it had to be correct from a chronological standpoint. You had to keep your notes. You have to remember. You can't. You can't uh, say a character in chapter one had on a suit, 
and all of a sudden in chapter five they're they're doing some things, they're doing a lot of action, and you forgot that they got a suit on. You know, so I had to think of all of those things, which means that I had to do a whole lot more reading. And it's very ironic because I am a writer who does not like to do a whole lot of reading. But uh-huh. because I had to do my research and because I had to make it make sense from a chronological standpoint, um, I had to go back and, and, you know, and I found out that I'm a writer who cannot take breaks when I'm trying to do a fiction work simply because if I take too many breaks, meaning days and weeks, if I take too many breaks, when I get back on it, in order to pick up the rhythm, I got to read two chapters uh, prior to where I, I dropped off or where I stopped to get back into the flow and to make it make sense. You just can't read two lines and then all of a sudden kick out two or three more chapters. No, it doesn't work that way. But it, it was the, the transition was e- easy in one aspect but difficult in the other. So if you're working a full-time corporate job, when did you make time to write this book? Because Curse of a Whiskey House was serious. It was intense. It was it, you could feel the passion, the anger, everything throughout the book. So when did you make time to write this? Uh, you know, it was and well, I'm going to tell you something that fueled my fire. Uh I I had too many people, I guess who thought they were in my ear telling me that it couldn't be done. And my thing is, if if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it. Please tell me I can't do it. <laughs> uh, please. And, and so, um, you know, I I had a goal in mind, but that just, that just fueled my fire. You know, I got in as a poet. Folks were like, well, you know, poetry doesn't sell, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, they never understood my situation. That's all I kept hearing. Poetry doesn't sell, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then when I started writing fiction, you know, a lot of folks are going to be confused by your branding because you're going from poetry to fiction, blah, 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 and um, saying to myself, who said I can't do it? I'm an independent author. <laughs> you know, so the, my my rules and boundaries uh, are a little different. And, um, you know, my thing is I would much rather take the chance and try it out as opposed to um, – living years ahead, you know, by the grace of God, of course, and thinking about what I could have done, should have done, or would have done. And so, um, you know, it it, it was one of those things. But the the bottom line is I had to uh, make time. I I had to wear it. You know, if you want to be something, or if you want to do something, I always say, if you're trying to be an astronaut, you need to wear a spacesuit to bed. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you need to work out in a spacesuit. You need to read, <laughs> study up on engineering in your spacesuit. So I had to wear it. I, I mean, I, I, it became, I became the process. It wasn't my process. I became the process. Uh, like uh, Rakim, the rapper Rakim said, when I'm writing, I'm trapped in between the lines. And so that means he immersed himself in his writing, and that I had to immerse myself so much so that I became the process. And I'm still involved. I don't understand why people would say that you couldn't be a poet and a fiction writer because there are so many award-winning authors who are both. Um, and I'm glad that you took that leap. And that you did, and now you have a trilogy, um, and you the three books are phenomenal. Now, the one thing that I loved about the first book, I anytime there's a book and there's a city or a town that is just as, just as provocative as the characters, I love it. That pulls me in, and I like that your three books were all centered around this town. The town played its biggest part as 
Ace Honeycutt or Detective Brock Taylor. So how did you create the town? Is it based off a real town? The uh, city? No, it, 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 it is completely fictitious. It is completely fictitious. Now, the town itself is fictitious. However, the shenanigans that uh, go on in it, and that's real. That's real as I see it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is uh, the case where you always have these families that, uh, uh, unfortunately, a family member did some inappropriate things. Uh, uh, to some younger family members, and it goes unchecked, and it continues. The cycle continues. Nobody does anything about it. And so uh, in in Curse of the Whiskey House, uh, it was done to such a magnitude to where, okay, uh, the only thing that's going to get you all's attention is this curse that's going to be created. It was their own doing. So... Take us into curse of, give us a summary of like each of the three books, and then I want you to do a reading, uh, and you can choose which book you want to read from, but give us a little summary of the main characters and just a little context of what each one of the three books are about. Okay, so uh, I'm going to try to do this without giving the game away, but um, mm-hmm. Because there's still a lot of folks who have actually not read Curse of the Whiskey House who heard who heard about the trilogy years ago. And so when I was at the National Book Club conference, a lot of folks said, you know, I've been meaning to get this book for years. And so that was a good thing for me because uh, to some people it's brand spanking new. Uh, but to answer your question, okay, so Lazarus, Alabama, church-going town, uh, Reverend Jackson Jones, is the uh, he inherited the whiskey house because his uh, uh, grandmother Lula Mae Gerther Jones used to have uh, moonshine uh, in the whiskey house for the Buffalo soldiers that used to uh, come through there on their way to their deployment, and so um, he inherited the whiskey house, and um, of course. Uh, there were times in his life where he endured abuse, and so uh, nothing was done about it. So he had it within him, uh, and for some reason uh, he was uh, – these people, uh, his supporters and some members of his congregation were sold on the fact that it was appropriate for him to have these uh, excursions or so-called – you know, the, the church is Central Baptist, however – uh, he had uh, these uh, 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 so-called getaways, uh, lack of a better phrase, in the whiskey house itself, and or, or retreats rather, and um, you know had his own legion of doom. Uh, and it turns out that um, uh, members of male members of Central Baptist uh, would participate uh, in these. Uh, you know, these God-forsaken shenanigans uh, in the whiskey house, you know, they would have uh, um, so-called, you know, Bible studies and, you know, things of that nature. Well, that's what they would label it as. However, uh, uh, it turned into a big, uh, this big, lack of a better phrase, gamut of um, – you know, violations, and I, I and I'm going to leave it at that in, in in describing it, and and so the bulk of the curse, uh, or the bulk of the making of the curse, took place at the whiskey house uh, during these gatherings, and um, the town had been suspicious all along. And so uh, the wives and girlfriends uh, took it upon themselves because they heard the grumblings. They took it upon themselves to go out there and to try to uh, 
surprise their husbands and boyfriends and fiancés. And um, boy, did they surprise them too. Because uh, <laughs> as soon as they walked up in there, boy, they saw they saw faces of affluence, uh, businessmen, um, and and uh, members of the church and the deacon board and things of that nature. Uh, but also before that, one of the the heroes, Detective Brock Taylor, his sole purpose at that particular juncture was to uh, end the curse by any means necessary. And but uh, he intended on going, getting out to the whiskey house, but uh, he did not get out there how he planned. Uh, he got kidnapped by Ace Honeycutt. Ace Honeycutt took him to the whiskey house. And uh, when uh, the ladies came out there, um, Brock was out there, uh, and all of these affluent men uh, were out there at the whiskey house, and um, all of the ladies' suspicions came true that their men were on the down low. And so... Uh, the let's just say the curse was like at its peak point at that juncture. And uh, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to give too much away saying who died and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. I will say this, I got to say this to keep the logic flow going through the series. Okay, so Ace, one of the primary characters, um, he, uh, he got killed at the Whiskey House. And uh, I'm not going to say by whom, uh, but he ended up getting killed at the Whiskey House during this time where everybody converged on the Whiskey House. And so um, Ace got killed, and also um, Brock's girlfriend, Brooklyn, who, by the way, suspected Brock was on the down low, and she uh, actually... uh, tagged Ace to test Brock out because, you know, Ace was uh, Ace was the type of brother to just do anything, and I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, <laughs> Ace's preference was anybody and anything. So, uh, and but Ace had a vendetta against Brock because he was jealous because um, Ace and Brooklyn were very close but by her being in a relationship with Brock, that made him jealous. And also Ace was jealous of the fact that, you know, Brock was a stand-up guy. You know, um, Ace wanted to be that, but, uh, you know, he Ace went through some uh, uh, times in his life where he had to deal with, you know, violations and things of that nature, and, uh Thus, he ended up being how he was because there was, you know, it went untreated, uh, very unfortunate. And so uh, instead of Ace really testing Brock, he kidnapped Brock. Um, And so uh, he brought him out there to the Whiskey House. Uh, When he brought him out there to the Whiskey House, uh, they were having uh, uh, their, uh, I think it's called the, the, the men's, Fellowship. I got. I, I have to to read what they're actually calling that that group. Uh, but they came. Uh, they were having a session at the whiskey house. Ace brought Brock out there. Brooklyn led the ladies out there. So imagine all of these people converging on the house at one time. And Brock's wow. eyes were wide, but he could not believe what he was seeing. The ladies definitely could not believe what they were seeing. And so they, they came in there, they were going to take some bats and go upside some people's heads. And, and so uh, so it was total mayhem. Ace ended up dying, uh, and uh, Brooklyn ended up dying. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that as far as deaths are concerned. And so um, supposedly they tried to have a funeral Okay, it was called. I'm sorry, it was called the Unknown Fellowship. I just had a, a my mind just went blank. The men who engaged in those activities at the whiskey house, it was called the Unknown Fellowship. And so, okay. um, at any rate, uh, 
uh, when Ace in Brooklyn passed away, they attempted to have uh, uh, a funeral. They attempted to have a couple of funerals there, but uh, the bodies were never discovered after they were removed from the scene. And so, uh, you know, when one tip, okay, so this is where the paranormal aspect kicks in. So and so we, now, so now let's go to the second book and uh-huh. and pick up, we don't want to give too much of the curse of the whiskey house. Right, so let's right. go into the second one. Right. Okay, so with viral transgression, um, okay, so remember, uh, Ace died, Brooklyn died, and the bodies were never found after the county came to pick them up. And so, um, the, I mean, they were the bodies were identified, but they did not necessarily make it to the funeral. Okay, so segueing to uh, viral transgression. Um, so, uh, when, uh, you know, they discovered that, uh, oh, by the way, um, Mayor Sam Justice, he's overseeing all of this treachery going on, right, from start to finish. Uh, Mayor Samuel, all of this happened under Mayor Samuel Justice's watch. And so, um, you know he's a he uh, he's a, an aging man and a sickly man, and um, so in viral transgressions, uh, the paranormal aspect uh, really really kicked in uh, because uh, people's devices, their iPads, their phones, their laptops were all uh, act crazy, acting crazy to the point to where they knew it was more than just your average Trojan horse virus. But, this, it, it, I'm, and again, I'm going to say this without really saying it, saying it, it turns out the spirit of somebody who uh, supposedly passed away in the first book Somehow morphed into a virus in the second book, wow. and was terrorizing, and was terrorizing people, and um, so I left it up to the reader to decide. You're going to have to decide when you're reading it who who is this really that's inflicting terror? Do you really believe that a character who passed away? in the first book is uh, uh, inflicting all of this mayhem in the second book. Can you fix your mind to believe that? So I left it up to the reader uh, to decide that. But either way, um, the mayhem continued, and and also in in, uh, viral transgression, I tried to capture the uh, essence of the the time. You know, we – for the past several years, we've been in this hyper-partisan era, right? And so uh, in in viral transgressions, there are several scenes uh, that are indicative of those times. You know, there's a, um, there are big political rallies where just about every ideology is being represented, and what is adding to the chaos is the fact that um, there's this unknown virus, again, terrorizing people, making absolute sure that they won't get on the same sheet of music. And so um, and, and, and in the meantime, Mayor Justice, you know, he, he, he is overseeing everything, but he's not necessarily getting away with everything because he's being terrorized too. But one thing about him, he's like a cat with nine lives. He's very slippery and, and always manages to wiggle out of a situation. So to make a long story short, 
uh, in in the first book, the primary scene, the primary scenes were in in Central Baptist Church and in the Whiskey House. The second book, the primary scenes were uh, the hospital, uh, Lazarus General Hospital, and the Whiskey House. And um, again, uh, politics without being political, politics uh, played a big role in viral transgressions. However, um, there was a spirit within uh, the virus that was impacting everybody's device that caused people to do some crazy things. Like, for instance, um, remember I told you some of the wives and girlfriends converged on the Whiskey House in book one to see what their husbands and boyfriends were up to. Well, in viral transgressions, uh, some of those ladies uh, actually had enough and had to do some eliminating, and I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. They, they, did so some, now, they did some eliminating. <laughs> okay. So now tell us a little about Ghosts of Ace Honeycutt, and I'd like for you to read from that novel. Okay, so um, Ghost of Ace Honeycutt, well, you can imagine who the uh, central character is uh, by now. And if by now you don't know who the central character is, then you hadn't really been paying attention. So, uh, again, Ghost of Ace Honeycutt. Again, I have a paranormal element in the book, and... I leave it up to the reader to decide for themselves. Um, what what do you believe? What do you believe is causing all of this mayhem? What do you believe is causing consternation within the the main uh, characters? Okay, so um, and 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 please forgive me. I've been forgetting some to add some characters, but I'm trying not to give too much of the game away. I've, I've been forgetting to talk about some of the, the main characters a little more, but uh, I'm afraid if I mention them, I'm going to have to mention something that they did, and people are going to just know too much before reading the trilogy. But, okay, so um, the spirit of Ace Honeycutt lives on. There is a motorcycle club called uh, the Spooky Prophets, and um, they – actually were formed as a counterculture to uh, revenge what happened to Ace Honeycutt. Because Ace's cousins throughout the whole trilogy, Ace's cousins and family um, are wreaking, you know, of course, wreaking havoc and trying to avenge Ace's death. Now, Ace wasn't wasn't a a clean-cut character by any stretch, but, you know, his family is uh, full of people who are about that smoke. So uh, his cousins and nephews and um, affiliates formed a motorcycle club called the Spooky Prophets, and um, their main goal is to wreak havoc and to avenge uh, everything that happened uh, to Ace. But they mainly want to they mainly want to take over the whiskey house, uh, but. The, the city of Lazarus and Hawthorne County are not giving the uh, whiskey house up because it's too valuable. It, it, uh, the whiskey house uh, was a money maker actually at one point because the, the uh, Hawthorne County whiskey stop uh, was frequented by many people across the nation because of the, of the whiskey house itself. And the mayor, Mayor Justice, wanted to keep that money flowing. He didn't want to mess that money up, even regardless of all the treachery that went on in the Whiskey House. So, but as long as the Whiskey House remains standing, and as long as the so-called bearers of the original curse were still living, then the curse was going to continue to wreak havoc. So, um, and part of and the curse, in part, is what took Ace out. And so the spooky prophets, um, you know, they they go around, um, you know, kind of 
terrorizing, collecting taxes from people and things of that nature, making their presence felt, um, you know, basically uh, having their way until they feel that adequate revenge has been uh, achieved for the death of eight. Um, and also uh, a, a very, two very central figures that have lasted throughout the duration of the trilogy um, are uh, Brock's brother, Pierre uh, Taylor, and also um, uh, Brooklyn's aunt, Destiny, who happens to be in an on-again, off-again relationship with Pierre. They've lasted, they, they've lasted all throughout the shenanigans throughout the entire uh, trilogy. And so um, also uh, there is a mysterious Hummer uh, that's wreaking havoc all over town. Nobody knows who the driver is. Nobody knows who the driver is of this Hummer. The police can't stop it, but it just manages to creep up on the scene and cause destruction whenever there's a tight situation in someone. And so um, somehow, some way, Brooklyn, Pierre, um, and this this wannabe lawyer, Braxton, somehow end up inside that Hummer. And so the question is, uh, and, and and I'm just on the tease right here. The question is, um, are they friend or are they foe? Uh-huh. And that's the main that the reader has to decide. Uh, number one, who's causing all this havoc? Ace is dead, right? How can he cause all this havoc if he's dead? And and uh, the the spooky prophets, of course, are are you know they're on a, a revenge mission. But what is their ultimate goal? Will they last? And uh, this Hummer, this mysterious Hummer, uh, who's, is this Hummer a, 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 a vehicle of justice or is it a vehicle of injustice? Are the Hummer and the Spooky Prophets on the same team? Uh, but the bottom line is uh, things come to a tipping point uh, in the Ghost of Ace Honeycutt. That's why I call it the final countdown. Either you survive or you simply perish. Uh, there, there is a serious collision course uh, ensuing because um, the spooky prophets know, Pierre and, and Brooklyn know, and the, spirit, the so-called spirit of Ace knows uh, what needs to take place in order for the curse to actually end. And so, um, but if the city of Lazarus itself is behind the curse, are you going to have to take the whole city out in order for the curse to end? So uh, these are some questions that the reader is going to have to ask themselves as they are uh, uh, going through the pages. So uh, that's all I wanted to say there. And, again, if you're if a person is not familiar with the, the flow of the trilogy, then – Listening to little bitty nuggets can can sound confusing. That's why you got to read it. Don't don't read it from back to front. From don't start with Ghost of a Honeycutt at, at like at the National Book Club conference. I say nope nope. You got to read Curse of the Whiskey House. Segway to Bible Transgressions and then subsequently Ghost of a Honeycutt. So are you prepared to read from? Ghost of Ace Honeycutt. I know everyone is sitting on the edge of their seat to hear this. Sure thing. So uh, I want to pick up uh, in Chapter 7 called Shock and Awe. Um, And, well, let me set this up by saying there's a lot of narration in the series. Uh, There are two omniscient. Um, omnipotent or omniscient narrators, uh, of which one is a character, actually a character named Rufus. So uh, Rufus is like the guy on um, 
the Dukes of Hazard, who's always doing that background commentary. You remember the show Dukes of Hazard, right? From back in oh, the day. Oh yes, I used to watch it every so, day back in the day. <laughs> yeah, so Way- Waylon Jennings was the narrator, uh, the country singer, and so Rufus kind of plays that role. Um, and also, uh, there is a reporter by the name of Abraham Johnstone. Now, the media plays a serious role in this trilogy because of how people look at media nowadays in these challenging times. So, um, this is uh, a scene where Pierre uh, made his way into the whiskey house. And he's taking no prisoners. He he wants uh, he's got himself holed up in the back room, and uh, he's not going uh, anywhere until he ends the curse. And so um, I want to pick up when uh, Pierre's old attorney, the Merryweather, makes his way up to the whiskey house because they want him to try to talk some sense into Pierre. So, meanwhile, inside the whiskey house, sir, what in the heck are you doing in there? You almost got yourself killed, said the officer to Merriweather. Officer, I'm sorry. I'm here to try and talk some sense into Pierre Taylor. Who the heck sent you here? This is official police business. You know you could get arrested. I understand. I'm the former attorney of Mr. Taylor, and when things went down, his ex-fiancee, called me to see if I could intervene. So you just popped up, huh? I don't even want to know how you got past the checkpoint. The officers made Meriwether get down against the wall in the living room as they heard movement in the hallway. The Whiskey House was populated with police officers, members of the Spooky Prophets, and, of course, Pierre. Hey, for the last time, we're asking you motorcycle geeks to get the heck out of here and let us do our job, stated the officer. You've had every opportunity to exit on your bikes and not via stretcher or the paddy wagon. Please don't end up like your fellow members. This punk shot Typhoon while his back was turned. Ain't no way we're just going to sit here and do nothing. Nobody will respect us if we don't retaliate, replied Zero. We'll leave when that punk leaves in a box. That is, if we feel we're good and ready at that point. Look, playtime is over. We'll just have to stick around for the fun then. Members of the biker club were in the kitchen and and in the hallway surrounded by the officers. Both groups had their guns drawn. Pierre, of course, was in in the dreaded uh, room at the end of the hallway. When Meriwether inquired to the officer about allowing him to go down the hallway, The officer told him to shut up and stay put at first. However, as time continued to tick, they became more restless, um, and they allowed Merriweather to make his way down the hall. Pierre, it's me, man, yelled Merriweather as he slowly made his way down the hall while gripping the walls. Then he thought, I hope he received my text message and doesn't think I'm one of the cops or bikers. What do you want, Merriweather, yelled Pierre. Hey. I just want to come in and talk to you for a minute. Would that be possible? Who the heck sent you, man? Did the LPD hire you? No. Nobody's going to hire my broke behind. My reputation, has, my reputation has taken too big of a hit for that. But at any rate, man, are you, you are not doing yourself any favors by doing this. What do you have to gain? Revenge for my brother, for one. At that moment, The door to the back room opened. Pierre didn't come all the way out, but he signaled with his hand for Merriweather to come on back. As Merriweather slowly made his way towards him, he looked back, and an officer aimed his weapon in the direction as another waved him to continue walking. At that point, Merriweather thought, well, doggone, are they using me to get a good shot at Pierre? Heck, I hope not. Uh, heck, I hope I don't get hit. But then again, if I do, I don't have to worry about my rep, my sorry reputation anymore. As Mary as Meriwether made it to the door, Pierre grabbed him, threw him up against the wall, and for a split second, 
he peered out into the hallway. Gunfire erupted for about two seconds as Zero made a brave dash thinking he could get a clean shot at Pierre. And as soon as he squeezed, two officers fired upon him simultaneously. Before Zero's body could even hit the ground, Pierre fired in that direction, striking an officer. Wow, that was good, good, good. So, Mark, how can readers and people who are listening to tonight's show, how can they get the entire trilogy uh, and just kind of binge read it? Because that's what I did. I downloaded it uh, to my iPad and just spent the weekend, and it was like watching. I mean, for me, when I read, I can visualize the story in my head. And it was like um, like visualizing a TV show, or, you know, one of those older TV shows. And so mm-hmm. it was something. How can readers get all three of the books and just binge read them like I did? You can either go to Amazon.com uh, and go to the, the, the KDP site and get them on Kindle, or you can order trade paperback from Amazon.com. Also, you can order from MarkLacy.com. So when they order from MarkLacy.com, would they be signed books? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Okay, because, you yeah, know. I love to personalize my books. Because we're getting into the season of giving, and a lot of people mm-hmm. like to give books as gifts. And I think men would really, really love this series, so they would make phenomenal gift books. Yep, and and and, and thank you for that. And I've also heard from numerous people uh, that they really believe this would make a great movie series and that a screenplay should be uh, produced and you know my here's my thing. Uh, people are going to always say that you know when they when they read a good series, but the work that it takes to get it to the big screen, you know, the thought is always great. But there there are some books written one year and 15 years later they finally make it to the big screen. So yeah. Uh, it can be done, but, uh, you know, one thing that people have to realize is that writing fiction, writing a fiction trilogy, and uh, writing a, a screenplay, two different things, because um, there are more elements, of course, in the screenplay. Um, you know, the screenplay is almost like I call 3D, basically. And so uh, it can be done. Now, in some instances, it just depends on your resources uh, as well, because I've, I actually have another series that I'm working on to this uh, to this day, um, and, and so that I am in the process of uh, fixing my schedule to where the, the, all of the books in that particular fiction thriller series um, are going to be made available simultaneously, and and so, or put it this way, the time window won't be eight years like it was with the Whiskey House trilogy. Uh, the all three books, or however many books are in that series, I'm not trying to give anything away. Uh, however many books in that series uh, that's forthcoming, uh, it will uh, the time window will be uh, shortened exponentially as far as when they're released. I, I, I might release them all simultaneously or just do, you know, one every six months or something like that. But the oh, thing okay. I like, I, I, love to, I love to keep the readers anticipating. <laughs> so, Mark, I have a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a small playhouse in Alabama, and a lot mm-hmm. of the times – people would do table reads. They would have a table in the front of an audience, and they would just read and act out 
the shows, and we would pay maybe five or ten dollars and get in, and we were loving them. I mean, really loving them. And so that may be a suggestion for you, and it and the audience would really get into it and and you know react. It was fun, but you know this was like in the early nineties, and it was a lot of fun. And Pamela Samuel Young held a event mm-hmm. one year. And it was a table read, and it was fun, and I think you can find it on YouTube. So that may be a suggestion for you. But so now, do you have a website that readers can go to and and find all the books and maybe order? Can you give us the um, website address? We have about five minutes left, and I want readers to really connect with you. Okay, sure. Uh, again, they can go to marklacy.com, and the product center has all of my publications there, M-A-R-C-L-A-C-Y.com. Okay, and so once again, family, Lacey does not have an E. It's L-A-C-Y.com. Correct. So, Mark, this has been incredible. I always love having you on the show. And so I'm preparing now for Black Books Weekend and the 12 days of Christmas for the holidays. So we're definitely going to bring you back. And I think we want some of those steamy steamy poems to be read on those shows. But it's amazing that you were able to get 500 poems into seven books and all the time had finishing up the trilogy as well. So, Mark, uh, much success to you. Congratulations. And I can't wait to see what's next for you. I heard some stuff. I heard some rumors that came from uh, the National Book Club Conference that you about to step up your game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the grace of God, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm just happy and thankful that I'm able to work my process. That's, that's all I want, an opportunity to work my process. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not really uh, focused on awards or anything like that. You know, they're great, but I'm not focused on that. I just want to work on my process, evolve my writing, uh, and, and be the best writer that I can possibly be. And so that 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 those are the most important things, and I want to be able to tell, give people uh, knowledge uh, that they can apply. You know, uh, like they call actionable intelligence, basically. And so uh, I, I want to be able to educate people based on my experiences. And I, boy, I've had some in, in these two decades, but uh, it's been a blessed experience. And especially, you know, interfacing with wonderful people like yourself. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And uh, I look forward to, you know, possibly coming back to the 12 days of Christmas and and things of that nature. So uh, please uh, definitely keep me posted about that. Oh, I will. I definitely will. I am sending out the information now. And I am looking so forward to it. Black Books Weekend is is the weekend right after Thanksgiving. And so I always look forward to that, to just hang out. It's like the band radio show family reunion. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Okay, so, Mark, thank you for joining us. And now I'm going to speak to the readers and the listeners before we end tonight's show. So, Band Radio Show family, now let's do our part in spreading the word about Mark Lacey and the ghost of Ace Honeycutt. Please tell at least 10 people about tonight's show. You have no idea how if every one of us tells 10 people how far the news of his books and his platform will go. Also, if you go to Black Pearls Magazine or Crown Holders Transmedia, you can find out more about Mark. You can read uh, a written interview that we had that's really insightful. 
I want to thank each and every one of you for supporting us and being part of the team, our ambassadors. Tonight's show was with Mark Lacey. He's the author of the the Whiskey House Trilogy. You can find them all on Amazon or at marklacy.com. Thank you for joining us tonight, and we'll be right back here next week with more tantalizing stories. Take care and enjoy your weekend.